Welcome to Herp Talk Radio. I'm your host, Matthew, and my co-host is Peggy Detmer. Coming to you live from the Black Hills. It's Herp Talk Radio. So, uh, Peggy, what's new this week with the turtles? Oh, well, um, just struggling to keep all the reptiles warm the, the, in the tanks in the winter because I'm not grooming anybody. So it's uh, I didn't really realize how hard box turtle keeping really is. These are my first two terrestrial turtles. And boy, do you have to clean out their cages a lot, like uh three to four times a day <laughs> and, and where you know really yeah yeah with the aquatic you know it's the filter baby you know you don't have to worry about um but box turtles apparently love to use what i would consider their their bath as um a toilet <laughs> yeah yeah so. tortoises do that too the russian tortoise i had we, mm-hmm. uh, we just took him into the bathtub once a day and soak him and then he'd poop in the yeah. bathtub. So <laughs> that was yeah. nice. Yeah, and because I have to keep him quarantined and, and very bacteria-free, I can't use the normal substrates that get my asthma going, too. And so he's only on brown paper that can be cleaned and kept sterile. We don't want that infection to come back. And you know, that's, that is how I received him as a, repti- uh, as a rescue. And so, yeah, it's... Um, it's a, a lot of work, but he's quite the character, so it's fun. So that's that's the news of of my my keeping boys of the week. <laughs> well, that's awesome. My my baby rats opened their eyes today, so that's or yesterday, so that's exciting. I think hmm. I think I've got an even split between males and females too. So so I might have a I might have five holdbacks and grow that colony a little bit bigger. Oh, nice. So that'll be fun. <laughs> well, tonight we have a guest on who started the Rapid City Reptile Expo, the owner of KO Corns. That's Twyla Robin. Hi, guys. Hi. Welcome on board. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you're, you're keeping a lot of reptiles that I'm not familiar with, so I'm going to enjoy picking your brain. <laughs> <laughs> well, I enjoyed your information just a minute ago because tomorrow I'm actually supposed to be getting a red-footed tortoise from a friend. <laughs> so, And I've never had one, so um, those are all good, you know, little hints to know. But um, it doesn't yeah. surprise me. I have lots of animals that are kind of similar, so it's just one more chore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Heck yeah. Well, it's, uh, so the how are you going to be keeping this um, uh, um, tr- the tortoise? Well, she told me she has everything that I need, so oh. um, she's bringing it all with her, and we will see what she has and um, where we're going to set it up, and it'll probably get moved and around a little bit here and there, but it'll definitely get lots of attention. Um, so we're pretty excited. <laughs> It'll be a good learning experience for us. So, Excellent. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll have to watch what uh, you all do with her on, on those Facebook pages that we follow oh, so yeah. much. <laughs> Redfoots are, are one of my, my top species for sure. Yeah. And you have to keep them so humid. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, is it um, an enclosed? Oh, so you. I'm not sure. I have a space that I had used for my beauty that I can convert. Um, but my house, I have so many different ways to keep things humid. And I'm really creative. I like to build things. And so if I have to build a better um, humid box or something, I'm not too worried about it. I have lots of totes around. I have all sorts of stuff. Um, so I'm not too scared of getting into it just to kind of see she's had it for quite a while. So I'll be learning a lot from her and seeing how she had her set up and she probably already has a humid box, but if not, we'll be creating and making something, but I have different substrates and my house is pretty humid with lots of, um, fish tanks and things. And I'm misting my chameleons all the time. Um, my, my room upstairs probably keeps around 50% humidity just normally um yeah so i have some pretty (laughs) humid spaces in my home (laughs) that's good yeah and lots of plants really good i have like a jungle of live plants in my house as well so it's pretty easy to up my humidity we have a built-in humidifier in our furnace as well so it all helps wow yeah Yeah. so so you're not using a dehumidifier that's what i have to do in my space because of all the aquariums i have to make sure that mold doesn't grow anywhere because i'm highly allergic to it and so you're not having that issue. Um, your furnace must keep things drier. Yeah, it must. I haven't had any mold issues so far, which I thought I might have an issue in my my bathroom where I have my water dragons in the tub. And I also have a 60-gallon uh, turtle tank in there as well. And that room gets pretty humid. Um, but mm-hmm. because I can turn the fan on and off, and they also have heat lights and stuff to help kind of dry it out as well. Um, mm-hmm. So far, I haven't had any issues with having to use a dehumidifier, so it's oh, been nice. kind of a blessing, I suppose. Mm-hmm. That's right. So, what? Uh, how did you get into reptiles, Twyla? What? Uh, what started that? Well, I was your typical child um, growing up in the country. In Custer, we didn't have anything to really be afraid of. We didn't have rattlesnakes when I was growing up, so my there was five, five of us, me and my siblings, and we just lived outside. Uh, we lived out on a ranch and we lived by near creeks and uh, ponds and wa- we loved the water. We liked to go swimming in it and we would always catch crawdads, turtles, uh, loved catching snakes, anything we could get our hands on. And so mm-hmm. we just, um, from a very young age, starting seven, eight, I remember just my brother catching everything and we would just play with everything. <laughs> so just fell in love with them, especially the turtles. Um, oh yeah, the turtle pond that we had closer to our house. We just went crazy over watching the turtles, and you know we didn't take too many turtles home. Um, they were a little bit harder to catch, of course, than some of the snakes we'd run across. But um, we didn't have a pet turtle, so we probably well, I suppose we had one. Myrtle was we were probably twelve to thirteen when we had him, so we eventually got a pet turtle because mom always said no to the snakes which is most most parents um except for me now <laughs> let's face it turtles are probably the easiest to convince a parent of getting because yeah. they're in a shell they're yeah. not they're not all slithery like a snake but they're they're the i think they might be one of the hardest like most intensive they are a lot of work yes. like a lot they... more work than, than a snake in a box that yep. eats once a week that is true. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, and and I was just contacted by a school that wanted um, an assistance to, to put together uh, an aquarium turtle for their classroom, and 
I'm trying to talk her out of it because um, turtles, you know, can splash up their water if it's not kept completely clean and filtered correctly. It could cause some disease and the liabilities mm -hmm. with the kids. It could, you know, it, there could be a problem trying to talk them into a lizard or a snake or a terrestrial turtle. <laughs> Frogs would be a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe we can network to make their uh, classroom pet happen, but in a, yeah. a safe. And I suppose if it was just uh, for observation only and they weren't holding it, they could have a special kind of top on it and keep it, mm -hmm. you know, keep kids distant back. So if it's not a hands-on, it'd be a great, great animal to observe and watch for sure. Um, mm -hmm. But as far as a hands-on classroom pet, I, I agree. I think it can be a higher risk for sure. Yeah. So mm -hmm. is that how you your turtles when uh, when you finally got one growing up? Is um, did your mom do most of the um, work? No, we fed a lot of hot dogs, which was probably not a good idea. <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> um, it it I remember I was pretty young, and it was you know there was we just no my mom didn't really take care of it well, so it lived a very very long time, which I'm very surprised now thinking and looking back, because I doubt we even had the proper lighting and setup. Um, we just mm. kind of kept it in a Tupperware or something and just played with it and we fed it and it was a tough turtle. And, um, Ooh. I, I honestly, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how it managed, but I don't remember my mom taking care of it at all. <laughs> was it a, a painted turtle? It or was, a yeah. Wild... Yeah. It was okay. just a, a wild caught painted turtle that we had found outside and decided to keep. So. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Okay. So did you try to keep snakes um, and, and, and your mom found them? Um, or <laughs> Sometimes, yeah. We'd bring one or two in the house, but we usually had makeshift cages that they would escape from anyway. And then, of course, we wouldn't tell mom. It would just, you know, normally, normally, normally we didn't find it uh, if it got out. But we didn't bring too many in the house because we didn't, didn't want to get in trouble. Um, but a few, a few times. And what about lizards? Did you add those into your life and when? Um, well, I didn't start getting into my own reptiles until I was, I think, 17 is when I got my first corn snake that I convinced my mom to let me have in my bedroom, which at that time I had my own bedroom. So she somehow agreed. I don't know how I conjured into that. But um, lizards, we you know, growing up, catching them, we didn't really have a lot in Custer. Custer gets pretty cold in the hills. There wasn't a lot of lizards, too many around. So it was mostly just bull snakes, grass snakes, garter snakes turtles mm -hmm. um and some wild birds and things that we shouldn't have been playing with yeah oh. <laughs> and i'm talking pretty little like this is when we were like yeah we probably had uh, had a little bit too much free time <laughs> well that's what you want the kids to have free time outdoors yes <laughs> but yeah. they you know, my kids aren't allowed to you know go play in bird nests and mess with the bird nests and stuff so i think it's well, just we yeah <laughs> I, I think that's kind of just changed on how overall sciences came yeah over, up over the past you know like 50 years or so mm -hmm. you know we were just wild catching snakes killing them and putting them in jars to study them and now there's we bring them into zoos and mm -hmm. breed them and yeah they're still going into jars but mm -hmm. there's more there's more natural history being done and more yeah. More working with the animals. Yeah and, yeah, and observing them in their natural environments and taking notes and learning from it that way. It only took us once or twice to 
stop messing with the bird nest because we'd get bombed by the birds. Moms would attack <laughs> us so bad that we kind of, you know, it just takes once or twice of, well, okay, maybe we don't want to do that anymore. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now when, when I grew up, it was before the whole big salmonella scare mm -hmm. of, you know, little green turtles in the store. Um, at what period did you start um, getting in, uh, into the snakes and and at that point do you think that the stores had evolved to uh, not sell poor habitats that would ensure the animals demise well um well like i said when i was 17 i i went into a pet store it was the one in bacon park at the time she had quite a few reptiles and there was a corn snake that i just had tiger colors, black and white belly, checkered belly. And I just was totally in love. And I had been hooked ever since that day. Um, and I, you know, honestly, my sister had also had snakes before that. Um, so all my siblings really grew up loving snakes and reptiles. And she, um, she was a cabinet maker and, and built some custom cages and, oh, and we wow. did our own branches and, uh, we didn't really get into any bioactives or anything with the corn snakes, but, um, I never, I never really had to research much about the, the cages and different things. I knew, you know, the heat light, they needed the heat source and the cages were usually pretty tall so they could get away from it and have the, the warm and cool side and really never had any issues with husbandry, but I didn't really start studying more um, of that until I got into, you know, breeding, which was six or so years later after college or whatnot. Let's go to the expo. So... When was the base idea formed that you um, actually wanted to take on this big endeavor? Well, when I when I started breeding again, so I, I bred corn snakes for around 10 years um, um, for a while. And then I got remarried and my husband didn't like snakes. So I was like, okay, we're, we were going to move. I was going to be a stay-at-home mom at that point. I was an art teacher prior to that. And I was like, okay, I could, I could give up this hobby. Um, cause we were moving out of town and I'm as, as long as I get horses. So, <laughs> so I traded my, my snake hobby in, in that part that I love cause he didn't really like snakes and I respected that. And then we had horses for a while, had a few young kids and, um, didn't really have time for the horses and eventually ended up moving back to rapid and back to town. And, I really was, and I was a still a stay at home mom and I'm just, I was just kind of bored. I'm like, well, I really want to get back into reptiles. And so I hunkered down and got five corn snake babies at the time. Um, and my husband forgave me and, um, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so the kids and I just, you know, got to play with them, fell all in love with it all over, really missed it, really enjoyed them. And then when they started getting really close to the age of three, where I could start breeding the snakes, um, and then I bred them. This last year, or last two years, I guess, um, I haven't had many babies this last couple of years, just getting back into it. But anyway, I was just like, oh, we got to have an expo. Because in the past, when I would breed, I'd go down to Denver. We didn't have any local ones, but I did travel down to Denver to reptile expos and sell down there. And I just, they're just so much fun. I just was like, okay, what do we need to do an expo? We just need a building. Okay, get a few vendors. It might be small. Uh, we expected it to be small. But we wanted just to start something and to see where it could go. And it was awesome. And I feel like your turnout was pretty good. I was there for most of the morning, which yeah. I would feel like was the slower time. It was it was steady all day. In fact, I, I think the turnout was better than we actually expected. Um, 
I couldn't have been more happy with the numbers that came in. Um, I felt like I couldn't take a break all day pretty much and was talking to people and, and that's just customers. That wasn't other vendors. I didn't even get a chance to spend much time with the other vendors, which tells you how much, um, traffic flow and how busy we were, which was a great thing. It was just a blast. Were there a lot of people there? I, I couldn't attend, but were there a lot of people there that were outside of the normal, uh, reptile community that you know of? Um, well, there were some because I work at a school and I invited the whole school to come. <laughs> and so the kids at, at my kids' school were really asking their friends and, and their their friends were begging their parents to take them and stuff. So there were a, quite a few that came in that, you know, had no idea uh, what a reptile expo was or even necessarily liked them. They were just kind of curious of what it was like. So we did have some new people. Um, but the majority I would say was definitely probably people that were on the, the reptile pages and that have heard, you know, pet store owners and different people that marked it on their calendars that really probably had a reptile as a pet already, or, you know, had an experience with one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was marked on my calendar right mm-hmm. after I found out about it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, We were talking about going to Tinley and then we found out about Rapid. So, Yeah. I'm glad that you did it because, yeah. uh, and, and those new people that come in, those kids making their parents come in, it's going to just change a little bit of minds, which is all, mm-hmm. all it's about anyway, at the end of the day. Absolutely. Because yeah. making a good, good profile for reptile owners. And, and I think you achieved that real well. Yeah. I, I just, I mean, and I just love reptiles and it's, it's not about, you know, yeah, I breed them and I sell some, but it's, it's just about the love, the enjoyment. Um, I'm an artist and the colors and, and talking to people and in the, the community is just, it's so rewarding. And there were so many people at the expo that was their highlight of their year. And um, all, all the vendors said they'd come back and they had great shows and they had enough sales and they were just, they just loved it. And, I also love to go to the schools. I love to get snakes in hands of kids that really, really want to see them and touch them, but don't have the opportunity because someone in their family might be deathly afraid of them, um, which is the majority. So we're trying to change that stigma. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just, I love to go to the classrooms and I haven't done a ton yet, but back when I bred before I took a break, I got into classrooms and that's so enjoyable and rewarding to, to educate kids about about reptiles in the classroom as well. That's awesome. On the vendors that did come this year, um, how many were local and were there any from outside of our area? Well, um, let's see. Like right and rapid, I think we had, well, Jay, he was from Newell. So we had some people that were, you know, a few hours away, two to three hours. But there was a couple that came four to five hours, a couple from Gillette. Um, there's not a ton inside of Rapid City besides myself. Um, a couple of my friends came, they just had a few snakes at a table, but they'll, they'll be bigger next year and the year after. So there are a couple local breeders. I know there's a gal that's getting into hog nose and she doesn't, um, so in a year or two, she'll have, I'm sure a booth and she's local. So there's, you know, a handful of local and then there's, but there's quite a few from South Dakota. There was, we had several come from the Eastern side of the state, so that's where my rat colony came mm-hmm. from, actually. Yeah. That way it was different genetics than what's here. Yeah. So, oh. yeah. 
So we're really yep. trying to network um, around the whole Midwest. I know for some people it's a lot to drive from Denver. And, you know, five or six hours can be quite a bit when you're hauling, especially when you're hauling um, animals and things. So, and, and then you have to look at getting a hotel room and the cost can really add up. So um, we're trying to just kind of do what we can to to slowly grow and build every year. So I know it's somewhat anti-local, but have you thought about reaching out to like triple L reptile or like outback who have the like traveling teams that go? Um, we're slowly. I, I know it's like a first year. There, so. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I really, what I'm looking at for, for this next year in growing is, is building some kind of a, a committee and some kind of a group to work together um, to mm-hmm. help with the advertising and, and just the cost. There's not, there wasn't a ton of cost in it. Um, well, the initial cost was basically just um, the rent of the building, insurance. Um, those are the main two costs, just getting it on the calendar. Um, and then, so what I, I did, because I didn't want to have to charge anybody to get in, I wanted it to be a free event. Um, we just kind of split that cost between the vendors when they rented their table. That money towards the table rental went to the rent of the building. So um, it pretty much evened out pretty good. I probably had, you know... A little bit out of my own pocket to to cover some of the stuff that I did, which I was kind of expecting, um, but it wasn't a lot. So I mean, it really evened out. And the more vendors we have in the future, um, it could be a free vending show. Really, is what I'd like to make it. I'd like to make it so if we have forty vendors and and we pay the rent, then maybe the money even goes back to the vendors, or you know, saves for next year's rent, or do something. But it would be amazing to make be able to make it a free vending event for vendors, um, you know, if we get enough of them. So that would be awesome. Something like that, because I don't. I just want to make it free for for everyone if we can. Nice. Mm-hmm. Now, did you yourself come up with this, thinking about it for a long time, or did others? No. More no, it was in- it was just me. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm an artist and I get creative and I'm a stay at home mom. So, I've, you know, all this time and, and I'm just creative and I've been to other expos. So, and I, and I know, um, Ron Jeffries at the, at the fairgrounds and I know some of the buildings and we've done some different things there from, they have, I knew they had some good buildings to rent, so they were affordable. And I just went and checked out the spaces and, and I'm like, well, we have social media now. We can just put something together and start advertising and, and see how it goes. And um, I think it went good for the first year. So, yeah. What What do you think was the hardest part in organizing it and bringing it all about? Um, probably just advertising, getting the word out there, um, finding enough vendors to even have a show. I was a little nervous about that. <laughs> That's what I know. was nervous about coming in. Yeah, I was nervous about are we going to have enough enough vendors so um, I think you did a good job there I think there was a good variety of mm-hmm. things to see and it wasn't it was small but mm-hmm. it's your first show also and right. you know but there was a good variety which I was very happy to see yeah. it wasn't just a whole bunch of ball pythons right. or yeah. two people yeah. doing the same thing right. and and that's that yeah you had a good variety there yeah, and that's our goal moving forward, um, too, is we want to try to get more, you know, leopard gecko breeders, crested gecko, you know, more variety of reptiles there, 
Not that I want to turn any ball python breeders away. Well, um, no, no. You know, but there are a lot of people that are into the ball python breeding. So 100%. we don't really want to create too much competition for, for our vendors between each other. But right. most vendors um, understand that, you know, it's it's a reptile thing. And if they go to big shows, there's going to be, you know, several yeah. dozen um, ball python breeders there as well. So I used, mm-hmm. I used to live in Michigan, uh, just, just outside Ann Arbor. So there was a reptile show there like once every month oh, wow. or so at mm-hmm. Tinley or not Tinley at uh, Taylor in Taylor, okay. Michigan. So I'd go there almost every month when I lived there. Fine. And, and it, yeah, it was great. I it was, yeah. Nice. Yeah, that's that. That would be on my calendar every year too, yeah. <laughs> or every month. Every month too. <laughs> yeah, you... yeah. I, I I wanted to come so bad, but then my my allergist doctors and you know, boy, I, I catch things, and all of a sudden there's fluid in my lungs, and she goes, "Yeah, you, it's not time for that yet with the pandemic." So you know, uh, you don't go yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, no. <laughs> but yeah. W- uh, what did you have for any turtle vendors there? We didn't have any. <laughs> um, I had taken some, I had gotten a few, well, I'm hoping we'll have a turtle vendor. There's a guy, I'm trying to think of his name. I wrote it down. There's a kid, he's actually in college right now, but he's from, I think he's going to school in Brookings or somewhere. He's where I got my caramel and albino turtles from. Oh. And um, he breeds them and raises them. And that's who I purchased mine from. And I know that he definitely would be interested in coming. I talked to him about it, but he is still in college and school and a little bit busy, but I think he's going to continue um, breeding and doing the turtles. So um, yeah, hopefully we'll have one in the next year or two. And, uh, and like I said, a hognose breeder locally and, um, and some more people getting into the cresteds and then different geckos and stuff. So uh, have you thought about doing uh, like venomous at all at the show or um, no it's a liability thing so we have um, yeah to go through the insurance is kind of a, a big kind of a headache in a way you know yeah you got to go get kind of a special and anytime there's animals involved um, with with any kind of venue or you know any kind of expo you have to be pretty particular about your contracts that you have your vendors sign and you have to make sure that, you know, that there's nothing dangerous, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we're still fine tuning some of the insurance stuff and, and figuring some of that out. Um, okay. But no, we will never have it be any, you know, we just, that's too, anything hot's just a liability. But we do have reticulated pythons and things that, um, that we do tell the, you know, breeders, if you trust your animal, you know, your animal, you're responsible, you know, it it basically puts the responsibility on each breeder if they want to get it out and have people handling it. Um, You know, any animal has the ability to bite um, and those kind of things. So it's kind of um, each, yeah, each vendor is supposed to be responsible for their own animals that they bring. And, you know, if their animal did damage to somebody, then they could be responsible personally for the damage their animal does at the show if it's loose. So it's just a contract thing that you have to kind of get legalized of vendors reading and signing that they agree to these terms. So it just kind of cover your backs and, you know, you don't want anybody getting hurt or anything, you know, ruining a show to ever happen again. So we really just want to keep having the shows. We want them to have, um, yeah, we just want it to be safe and, 
yeah. family friendly. And um, even with that, we got to be careful too. Um, um, really, we shouldn't have any outside animals coming in as well. Like, you know, that's a safety thing just yeah. as far as breeders go, as far as, you know, um, diseases and different things or people trying to, to sell things, but they don't have a table and they're not, you know, those kind of things It can all happen. So at some point we just, you know, we do have to set some rules, which sometimes may sound like we're being mean, but it's just really to protect our animals and our vendors and to be able to continue to have the expo every year. And do you allow education booths, you know, people that aren't essentially vendors, but they're just there to show different things going on with different populations. Absolutely. In fact, I want a lot more of that. Um, I would love to have a setup where, where kids could come hands-on and, and build bioactive and do different cage setups and um, education. Absolutely. Um, that yes. wonderful. Yes. We, you know that we had a photo booth this last time, which she wasn't super busy, but um, we had someone that, you know, s- sold some stickers and decals and um, anything reptile related, but absolutely, we really want to strive for that education part. Um, we could even have some stuff set up in the corner of a, a video or answer question and answers or um, active games for the kids that, you know, um, you know, reptile bingo or something. I mean, anything we can do to, to educate and, you know, make it fun. I, I all for that. My girlfriend was actually really impressed that there was a ton of stuff for the kids to do. Yeah. And it wasn't and it wasn't just a, an adult reptile expo. Yeah. And she she commented on that quite a bit actually. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, that was my idea. Well, of course I have five kids myself and and the three little ones, I'm like, oh, they're gonna be here all day. They're gonna be so bored. And I'm like, why not have a coloring station? You know, and um and so we just, you know, had something fun for them to do in the middle so that you know, if the parents wanted to talk to vendors more in depth about, you know, questions and different things. And, and I liked having it in the middle because you could see the kids right there and keep an eye on them. And it, it worked out really great. And you had a lot of electricity there for everybody. Yep. To keep everybody yep. Yep. Yeah, we were able in that building, um, the fine arts building, we were able to monitor our heating. We, we had control of turning it up or down, depending on, you know, how much cold air would come in the door if we needed to. We had access to that, which was amazing. Um, one thing I did notice is the lighting in certain corners and spots were, wasn't very good. Um, I did tell the vendors that, but not all the vendors brought, you know, a lot of extra lighting. So that's something I would want to change in the future just to have a few extra lamps available. Um, but otherwise the building and the location and everything worked great. Um, and so each booth could have electricity within their booth. Um, yes. You know, they're sensitive. Yeah. A lot of warmth. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mr. Critters from Gillette had a heat pad on his table. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, yeah. And I think you, you had, yep. I had, you lots had of water lamps dragons yep. set up, like complete setup. It was real nice. Yeah. It was a, a temporary setup, but it had water and heat in there and it was big and yeah, but tried it was, not to stress them out too much. It still <laughs> but, looked good. Yeah, it was. I fun. just found this. This was me. Where's yours? Oh, nice. Oh yeah, some expo pictures. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. yeah. We'll have to post those. Yeah, I'm not sure. I took too many pictures of the water dragon setup, but. No, but I didn't see. Yeah, there's oh, there one it is there in the background. <laughs> there you go. Yep. <laughs> but and yeah, that, there was nice. full... that was built with shower curtains and a frame the day before the show. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's perfect. So how, much time, how much time did they let you in before, you know, for setup? Um, well, because I, I, I know the, the people that I rent the building from, um, well, you can, a lot of places, they'll let you in the night before. So we actually, I was there, we were there from six to nine or so the night before. So for the people traveling, um, the only thing with that is we don't leave animals there overnight. Oh, right. So, but yeah. if they want to set up their table and lights and anything other than animals, um, they're welcome to come in and do that. So. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. yeah, it'd be it'd be fun to have my clown line there just to show people the that mutation and uh-huh. and what what fun that breeding experiment is. Yeah. Well, and I'm hoping that we can get a booth as the podcast and then you can have the clown line there. And if I do happen to breed something, it'll be on the table, but I don't know if that's going to happen. Yeah. So basically um, it's open um, as far as being a vendor, it's open to the public. Um, You don't have to qualify for this show. There are some shows that you have to be specifically qualified to go and sell at, but ours is, you know, if it's educational, Um, If it's not, you know, if someone wanted to just set it up and share information, um, basically whoever gets a table, they'd be paying the same price or rent Mm -hmm. fee um, as the other vendors as well. But it really is open to whoever wants to be a vendor can be a vendor if it is reptile related. So what what was your vendor fee for this last show? Um, I want to say it was 55 a table or two for 100. So around oh, $50 for a table, I think, is what we had it at. That's not bad. And like I said, all. if we get more vendors, um, you could be making money by coming. No, I don't know. I don't know how to do that yet because we do want to do some advertising and things. And um, mm-hmm. But anyway, we'll punch numbers. And like I said, nobody's out to make money off of the actual show itself. Um, we're just out to enjoy reptiles, enjoy each other, um, educate our community, grow our community. Um Yeah. So, I mean, with reptile gardens here and things, a lot of people will ask me, you know, do reptile gardens come and all those things. And, you know, I'm like, they're not really, they don't get into a lot of that stuff. And the reason is, and you can't blame them is because they really, a lot of people think they're a reptile rescue and they're not. Um, So a lot of people will try to give them all their, and we really don't have a a lot. I mean, the turtles, um, what Peggy's doing, I think is wonderful, but we really want to educate the community so that we don't have to have a yes. lot of reptiles that are being rehomed. And and there's nothing wrong with rehoming a reptile, no, um, but that's what, what we don't want, be. we don't want them surrendered to just get rid of them or drop them off at the humane society. We don't want to put that burden on the humane society. We want to lift that burden off of them. Um, so that's our goal. I mean, half of my reptiles are probably adoptions. That's kind of what got me falling in love with certain things that I have and continuing certain things that I have. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, so it's not, we're not out to bash pet stores or, you know, we're really out to support and educate so that we can have a good community of support for people, you know, like that, that may, you know, sometimes a health something comes up or someone passes or something, you know, we want to be that support system for those circumstances, but we just want to encourage, um, good education and good husbandry and, and good, you know, love of these awesome creatures that God has made. So yeah, that's, that's one thing that I said, I turned down, um, two turtles recently, just, you know, I, I couldn't take them on. I'm, mm-hmm. we are at our, um, at our limit right now. Mm-hmm. And it, it's good for people to know what their limit is right. so that 
all the animals do get the care that they deserve. And I just know that, um, you know, that, well, maybe you need to be bigger. And, and I, I told him like, well, I may be a retired scientist, but I'm not a retired artist. And I, I can't let the turtle rescue get to the point where right. it gets in the way of my art career. And so I, I, right now I, uh, because I was, um, had two, um, egg rescues this year, which means lots of baby turtles and, and they grow fast oh, and, yeah. and they eat a lot. <laughs> they, they, and they, they have to, their waters need to be changed quite a bit. Matter of fact, I'm bumping them up and it, it's at right at a time where I'm, I'm asked to submit a bid for another monumental bronze sculpture and it's like, oh my God. Oh, it can get <laughs> overwhelming and bless your heart. Bless your heart. Cause I, I am in the same boat too. I hear you there. It's, um, it is very time consuming. I don't think people realize that, you know, the more you have, the more time and especially if you're doing it correct and doing it right, it can right. take your whole day. And yeah. 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 I, I have all my tanks on a, a changing water schedule mm. and all that. Yeah. Thing. And so I, I like your idea on, you know, what can we do? Um, what about this turtle? Do they, re do they think they need to get rid of it right now? Is it just an issue that they're having problems with that we can solve and, and they can um, enjoy their turtle longer and actually, you know, find a renewed interest in their own animal right. or, you know, that I would not, um, I've helped solve that situation a couple of times. Um, and so that, you know, again, that the, the animals don't end up in a lake, you know, where they, shouldn't be right, um, right now uh, I, i'm in working with partnership with the game fish and parks to remove the, uh, the uh, readier sliders from canyon lake <laughs> oh. and and so you know and and i think we're gonna need some advocacy and peer to, for them to not shut down the reptile trade in south dakota because so many people are releasing animals that they shouldn't release into places that shouldn't be released right. to. And so, you know, I think that's a, a good advocacy booth that we could have um, on what not to do that could endanger the um, reptile ownership and breeding in our state. You know, um, that sort of education is very much needed. Yeah. Let's see. Um, uh, what would you do different for next year that wasn't done this year? Well, I think um, everything went really good. The one thing that we'll probably do um, have a little bit more signage as far as no outside reptiles, um, maybe have someone at the door working or volunteering to make sure that they're not bringing in extra, you know, we didn't have a lot of it, um, but we did have a few that came in and some of them were in, closed containers and different things. So it's just something that to look at for next year and make sure that we have good signs that says, you know, please no outside, you know, outside reptiles aren't allowed or whatnot. Um, or even pets really, it should just be pets. Um, except service animals, you know, it, it, you just have to draw the line somewhere, but that's. People brought in those outside reptiles reptiles just to have fun with them or just to, to share I think them? just mostly no most of it was just to share um like a bearded a pet bearded dragon in a backpack type of deal 
Um, one guy brought this amazing friendly tegu, huge, just gorgeous creature, gorgeous. In fact, I'm trying to get, I think we're going to get a hold of him and see if he'll have his own booth and bring that, bring that tegu back. Cause he's just so friendly and he's like, a, Oh, it's just, it was amazing to see it. Um, so, you know, um, things like that. Just, it wasn't, I think someone, I had heard that someone maybe came in to sell something to someone, but, um, again, I was super busy and I hear things after, you know, after they happen and stuff. Um, I don't think it was a safety issue. I think it was just somebody that needed to rehome and, and wanted to give it to a vendor or something happened. I'm not sure, but just, you know, that, that would be a little bit of the change. Um, you know, there's, I think everything went so well. I was just really, really pleased, um, with our turnout, you know, maybe invite the TV or news crew to come down for our next show. Um, that would have been a good idea. Tentative, tentative date, I believe. Um, Tinley's the seventh, so we're going to go ahead and plan on the fourteenth of October this year for our next show. And then, okay. as we grow, um, the building is pretty big. We have a whole second back room we can use. We can set up tables in the middle too if we need to. So I think we can double in size and still be okay in our location that we have chosen right now. And in the future, we may have to look at different venues if if we outgrow the facility, but. For now, it works great. It's its own building. Um, we have our own close access in and out. We have restrooms, sinks, water, heat, everything we need. So we're pretty pretty happy with, with the fairgrounds usage right now. Do you think that the uh, vendors are all mature enough or produce enough or have enough things to support two shows a year? Um, like a spring and a, and a fall are. show? Um, some of them definitely are. The thing about having early spring shows is that's when vendors are also hatching and busy, um, feeding, yep. hatching, sorting. I mean, it's just your chores are doubled kind of during that time until most of your stuff hatches. Um, but I know there are a couple of vendors that have enough inventory. I have enough overflow inventory this year. I probably could have done a spring show myself. Um, so I think we'll get to that point. I absolutely, I, I do. I think I can see us in a couple of years, um, definitely going to two shows a year pretty easily. Nice. That would be yeah. awesome. Mm -hmm. I, I'd love to set up a booth to, um, show that the rescues that uh, I really need volunteers for. And especially when emptying out drying ponds, um, mm -hmm. I have a permit to, move turtles around in Custer State Park mm. from the dry ponds over to their more permanent bodies of water. And boy, it would, it would be fun to put crews together for that. So that that's one reason I would like to get a booth for this yeah. coming. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be a great outreach, you know, to give out information, um, contact, um, all sorts of stuff. It's a great outreach, I think, too. Yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah, just, just the parents coming in. And I, again, I think it's easier to approach most people with a turtle or a frog uh -huh. rather than a snake <laughs> or a lizard. So uh -huh. I think I think having turtles, people and frog people, I know there was a couple of Pac-Man frogs for sale, uh -huh. but, you know, more more the educational side of things and people who specialize are always great. Uh -huh. and, and did you have photographers and artists there to sell their photography of the reptiles and, and their habitat. Well, we had a photographer that um, does photography. Um, professional photographer was there. Um, I know I had some photos for sale from some of the stuff I had taken the previous year that my boys were selling at their table. 
um, but they were just small photographs of different reptiles. Um, so we didn't have a ton of that yet. I know um, as far as my booth and stuff goes, it'll grow as soon as I get to the point where I can start sitting down and painting some of them or <laughs> drawing some of them because I am an artist yeah. as well, but I just haven't had the time. Um, but I would love to be able to do more custom stickers and, and clothing. And eventually we'll have hopefully some Rapid City Reptile Expo t-shirts to sell and, and you know, just really grow every, grow every time. So, Well, as an artist, um, where can we see your your photography and your drawings? Well, um, I have a Facebook page that's Art by TKO, which is a lot of the animals. It's not reptile art. Most of my reptile art is just the photos that I've taken on my KO Corns Facebook page. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, Art by TKO is my other hobby. Um, I was an art teacher for 10 years at Central before mm -hmm. I became a stay-at-home mom and got back into the reptiles. So uh, yeah, it's something that's kind of been put on the back burner since I got back into the reptiles. I paint probably a couple times a year, but, <laughs> um, but it's, yeah, it's definitely a fun hobby for sure. Great. Yeah. I've got, I've got to go there and look, I, I love, I, you know, I, even though I'm an artist, I collect the works of other artists mm -hmm. and I think I have more work by other artists than my own stuff. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're the same way. We got, um, we do a lot of the Kathy Siegel and different local artists. Oh, yeah. And uh, yeah, I, ha wanna... I have some, I have some art and Custer at the co-op there, the Art Expressions Gallery. And then in Grace, oh. Grace Gallery, Hill City has some of my art, but it's, mm -hmm. it's just kind of slow. You know, art is not something that goes very fast, but it's definitely fun. Well, what do you keep? What all do you oh, keep? Because you have to make me do a list here. And then, yeah, break out the list. Okay. So my my number one love, as you all probably know, is the corn snakes. Um, that's probably what that's definitely what I have the most of. I probably have about seventy to eighty corn snakes. Oh my! Uh, most of them future breeders. <laughs> um, I think I got fifty some uh, hatchlings, yearlings, and adult future breeders, or just what I would say my collection for breeding. And then I probably have a dozen still that I have for sale. Um, so corn snakes is my number one love. Um, last year I did adopt a pair of Chinese water dragons um, with a custom cage. And they're just, I've always loved them. I've seen them in the pet stores before. They're like a mini iguana. I just love the yeah, colors. Yeah, I've seen them too. So I, I, I was like all over that. Yes, I'll adopt them. I fell in love with them. And two months later, we had eggs and we hatched out a bunch of babies a few months after oh. that. And, but I've been in love with them ever since. Um, they're, they're super cool creatures. So I would say Chinese water dragons were probably going to be something I always have, even though they're a little bit harder to find homes for. Um, I just, I absolutely love having them. They're so intelligent and beautiful. Um, let's see, what else do I have? Um, I have day geckos, which I'm also in love with. I've got my first day gecko actually at the pet store around Christmas time. Thought it was a boy. Um, then it laid an egg six months later. And so it was a girl and I just fell in love with her. And so I ended up getting her uh, mate on from a breeder on Morph Market. So now I have one baby just hatched out yesterday. So now I have four babies that have hatched from that pair. Um, and they are they're adorable. Gorgeous. They're adorable. And I, I've heard you can tame them, um, but they're so fast. I've been able to pet them on the chin and 
do some stuff um, like that, but I don't really try to handle them. And aren't there, aren't there, isn't their skin like super fragile it is. too? Yep, their skin is. So like yep. you can. So if you did hold them, them you'd and... want them coming onto you. You wouldn't want to be grabbing them anyway. So it's just one of those things that I chose not to try to spend too much try, time trying to tame them. Um, it, it was my first. Um, my first experience with the tail drop this last year was a day gecko. And, oh. and that was, um, I was cleaning the cage. I, I had to pull eggs out and I had to change a plant. And all these videos are on my Facebook page too. I, I'm trying to record all the processes that I do um, as educational. I, I have a video of the tail moving and it was just, it was creepy. It was exciting. It was weird. And um, I need to post some more pictures because my boy that lost his tail, his tail's almost brand new already. Um, wow. it's grown oh. out and it's starting to get the color and everything and you can barely tell. Um, but it's just been a fun process. I love, I fell in love with the day geckos and then now I've fallen in love with crested geckos. So I have a couple of those. Um, those are amazing. Probably if I had to pick between the two, even though they're nocturnal and they sleep a lot during the day, um, I love crested geckos. They, they, they're squishy feeling. I don't even know how to explain it. They have the most unique feel to their feet and their skin that I've ever felt in a reptile. Um, and they're pretty docile and they're not as fast. They're jumpy, but they're not as fast as a day gecko. So you can handle them way easier. So I absolutely love the crested geckos and they're so neat. Like, yeah, they're just neat looking and they're, they're pretty neat. But, and then I have the leopard geckos. <laughs> so those are the geckos that I like. Um, and then the Chinese water dragons and like, what am I missing? I have a pair of the caramel turtles still oh. um, mm -hmm. that I may or may not breed in the future, but I've always loved turtles. So I've been just, I love them. Mm -hmm. um, and then we're getting the red footed tortoise and oh goodness, what else do we Aren't have? Are they going to get as large as a standard red or slider or do they stay slightly smaller? Uh, the caramels, I'm not sure. I got them as babies. Um, I think they get, I don't think they get quite as big mm -hmm. if, you know, but we're just kind of learning as we go. Oh yeah. There's another lizard I picked up in Billings this that year. Thing. This, <laughs> the is, this, the is, the, this is what I asked okay, you about so, yesterday. And then yes. I do have a pet bearded dragon. I don't breed all the animals that I have. I, I was going to ask. <laughs> no, um, day geckos and crested geckos. I do breed those Chinese water dragons, corn snakes, leopard. I guess so far, I guess the plan is on all of them. <laughs> uh, but the, the bearded dragons, I don't, I'll never breed bearded dragons, but we have a pet beardy, um, just like a puppy dog. And then the jeweled lacertas that you see here in this picture, uh, I, I fell in love. The guy was a breeder and he was at the Billings, Montana reptile expo and he had the adults and people were holding them and they were super blue and friendly. And they, they reminded me of a, a miniature uh, tagu or something, their tongues and how they act. Um, they are very, pretty fast, um, but I'm just falling in love with them. I can hand feed these guys now and they're not, wow. af they're not afraid of my hand. Um, and they're just so beautiful. I could stare at them all day. That's awesome. And then hibernate, or I guess brumating right now is my pair of, collared lizards eastern collared lizards so those are another desert species that mm -hmm. if all goes well i might try to to breed once just to i like to just have the experiences um and then i can decide how much time it took me um you know i br i breed and raise almost all my bugs so that helps a little bit i got dubias and supers and mealworms and 
things that I raise to feed my babies. So, wow. Um, so and, yeah. And, and so where's your reptile center in your house? <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> I have a pretty big house. It's, um, I have a hatchling room in my basement called my snake room where I can, it's actually a temperatured room. It's a small bedroom, like an eight by nine ish size room. And, um, I hatch, I actually hatch out my eggs in there. And so the room stays between 78 and 82 degrees and high humidity. And, um, I can keep, you know, I can keep any age of corn snake down there. And I can also hatch out my eggs down there for, for most things like the day geckos and corn snakes. They just, I don't have to have them plugged into incubator. They just incubate in that room. So, mm -hmm. so yeah. And then, yeah. And then the rest, and, and okay, the seventy snakes. Where are the <laughs> where do you um, go? Well, I have another room upstairs. It's I call it my office. It's kind of a jungle. Um, one of these days, I'm going to do a video like loop all the way around. But it's got a lot of my bioactive cages in it, my day geckos, because I love plants. So it's like a jungle in there. So uh-huh. that's where a lot of the the snakes are in forty gallons. So I do both. I do both the rack system and I do cages as well. I have a big hutch that I converted to to a snake cage and. I just enjoy making cages and different things like that. Um, I've also experienced having chameleons. That's one thing I didn't mention. I had a pair of panther chameleons that I was eventually going to breed, but my male prolapsed. Um, and luckily I didn't lose him and he survived it and he healed. And it was, it was a scary yet awesome learning experience. Um, and so I've had panther chameleons and veiled chameleons and I did breed my veiled chameleons. And now I have 25 baby veiled chameleons that have been hatching over Christmas time. And I had two hatch out today. And so I just set up two more, two more big cages today and start separating all the babies. And so that was my full day today. Um, So I love chameleons though. They're definitely a a little bit more time consuming in work. So I will be taking a break um, after these babies get rehomed and I may end up keeping one or two for pets, but I'm not going to breed chameleons again until I get, uh, a better balance of everything else that I'm doing. Cause it's just me. I don't, even my kids don't even really help me a whole lot. So one person doing it all is, is, can be overwhelming. <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 But I, yeah. I enjoy it. Yeah. Nice. So what, what do you think is the friendliest lizard species? The one that enjoy, you know, I, I see so many people snuggling with their lizards underneath their chins. And, oh yeah. Um, a bearded dragon and a, and a leopard geckos, those two, um, are amazing pets. And those, that's probably why you see them in the pet stores all the time. Um, that's why they're the most common, you know, I would guess. Um, yeah. They're, they're easy, they're docile, they're friendly. Um, of course, one's more pokey than the other, but <laughs> bearded dragons, um, if people take the time with them, they can be really, really docile and same with leopard geckos. I mean, either one, if you get them as a baby and they're kind of wild and they don't get handled, and kind of tamed down, then they, you know, they may or may not be super friendly, but, um, those are the two so far, um, still working with my jeweled Lacertas and they may end up being amazing too. It's just hard to say, cause I'm, I'm new to them. So. Yeah. Le- and a lot of that, yeah. how much time you have. Too. Exactly. Hmm. Yeah. I, I'm curious, um, you know, because I'm sharing my, breeding aspirations with a breeder has far more room than I do. I'm sharing my offspring with him. Um, I 
you know, he, you know, we're trying to get as many females as possible because we have, you know, two males from this clown line that are possible um, head. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I incubate for females. Do you, are you doing mixed ratios or targeting for um, male or female? Um, no, mine's mixed. It's um, with the corn snakes. There's usually a good mix at the, you know, at 82. Yeah, snakes uh-huh. aren't temperature yeah, dependent. And, um, so, no, I haven't done a lot of that temperature. Usually I just get it, go for a mix, you know, because I'm not trying to produce something for myself to hold back or for someone else, specific gender. Um, but, yeah, I've heard of it, and I know the higher and lower with certain species can determine determine that. But When I bred my leopard geckos, I, I incubated for all females, mm-hmm. so... And that that panned out. So I know in, in the turtles, they people want the small turtle, or the turtle that'll stay small. And so I know with canids, you know, they they want males because they don't want to have to worry about an egg laying female possibly getting egg bound. And, right. And then the males um, you can stay around you know, three to four inches max, depending on how you feed them. And I just wondered if that was true in the snake and lizard area. Uh, I think it's more we like when I did leopard geckos, I was incubating for females to get more breeding stock mm-hmm. to move forward. And and with your room varying, you said you incubate them like up on the top shelf in your room that's 77 to 82 degrees. So, yeah, I can adjust that. It's yep. So, um, yeah, I don't I haven't done it with with the species that I've been producing. I haven't done the temperature thing, but I know it does, you know makes sense and um if i wanted to produce something of you know one or the other that you know i would definitely modify my incubation i mean i can put them in the incubator i know i'm gonna have to do a little bit of that because i believe the collared lizard eggs um incubate a much higher temperature uh, Mm -hmm. than my corn snakes so those would be put into a hovabator incubator and then at a higher temperature inside of the other room so i would monitor that and have those be hotter Mm mm-hmm so you said you're brumating those. Do you brumate your corn snakes too? Um, the adults, yes. Yep. Okay. Yep. And what what are you taking them down to? Um, they go down anywhere 55. Sometimes you know between 55 to 60 is pretty good range. They could drop down to 50, and they could go up to 62. But you'd really want to just aim for that 55 to 60. Um, and do you have a special room that you keep? I have here? a yeah. I have a basement room that's cold that I can just turn everything off in. Um, turn the heater off, keep the door closed, and it's on the north side of the house in the basement, and it doesn't have great windows. So <laughs> I keep I keep my temperature gun down there, and I go down, and I can shoot all over the room and see the different temperatures, and it stays really good between 55 and 60. So. Do you change the hibernation substrate, uh, brumation substrate, different from the substrate of when they're active? Well, yeah, when I, when I brumate mine, they go into um, tubs, like big big Tupperwares, um, which is also what I use for when I pair them up and breed them and stuff. Um, so they go on just paper towel. And then if they, if they're in their bigger cages, they're on more of a, a substrate, um, eco or, or there's lots of different substrates. I actually use lots of different kinds of substrate, depending on if it's a scaleless corn snake, I'll use something with more higher humidity. Um, otherwise I, I like crushed walnut shells for some of my corn snakes, just cause it's really easy spot cleaning. Um, there's just a lot of different substrates that can work good for them. 
but I do, I do brumate them on paper towels just because it's easy and they're not usually going to the bathroom and, and then they have their water dish and hide inside as well. So, so baby corn snakes, this is where I've heard so much good and I've only had problems. <laughs> so <laughs> this is how you, have you ever had any feeding issues with your baby corns? Oh yeah. You always have some, you always have a few uh, problem feeders. We call them, um, that just don't want to eat. Um, and I'm trying to think of what percentage it kind of varies. Um, this last season, I think I had a handful. Um, of course, I had four four scaleless babies that were problem feeders, but now they're eating frozen thawed. Um, they just started doing that. So there's different tricks. I did have to assist feed them for a little while because you just have yeah. to have nutrients to get into them. But um, so it's not a fun thing to do, but it's not that hard. Um, to, to get them started. And then once they get growing and they realize, oh, this is food and this is what I'm supposed to do, then they just eventually will start eating on their own. Yeah, that's that's the problem I had with my baby corn snake. Oh, I, I was going to ask, do you raise the temperature to um, raise their met, uh, metabolic rate so that would encourage them to eat? Um, there's lots of different, I, I don't think temperature wise, cause you don't want the corn snakes to get too warm. You definitely, when you feed them, you want to make sure the temperature is warm enough for them to digest their food. Um, there's lots of different methods. I don't have, I don't breed my own mice, so I, I don't have the live option, which a lot of breeders do have the live option. And that is something that works um, pretty good for people that have that option. Um, you can boil the pinkies and that's, that's what's worked, worked the best for me so far. Um, and then you can, okay. there's scenting things you can do, um, thawing them out room temperature instead of hot water, blow drying them. So they're not wet after they're thawed, you blow dry them dry. Um, so there's different tricks, um, feeding them right before dark, um, dropping in them and then leaving them, making sure they're not, you know, distracted at all. Um, definitely make sure that after they're born or after they hatch, they uh, get a good shed and, and let them get really hungry before you offer that first meal. That will help too. You don't want to feed them too early. Make sure that they right. shed and you don't want to wait too long, but you know, there's a, there's a point in there where you want them to be hungry. I usually separate them all. Um, of course, before I feed, I don't feed, I don't feed anything together. they all get separated. And um, so, yeah, there's lots of different methods. Some people put them in a brown bag, um, but to make it darker, I suppose, but. I just feed them at night you, with the lights off, and so it's dark. <laughs> do you do you offer any other like prey prey variety, or is it just just rodents um, for your corn snakes? For the corn snakes, it's just uh, the the pinky mice. Okay. I know some people scent them. There's some scenting stuff you can buy that's pretty expensive. Some anole scented stuff that you could try. I've never done that yet, but if I get to a point where I have a lot of babies and I have like fifty or so that or problem feeders, I might invest in trying some different methods, but. So is the problem that as babies, they eat lizards in the wild? They can. Yep. Yep. There's. Yep. Okay. So, sometimes. Yeah. Lizards is it they, like the small little anoles and lizards are another food option for them in the wild. Correct. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Cause mm -hmm. they are down in yep. Florida too. Yep. And, okay. So, and what about like the roaches and the crickets? Um, no. <laughs> they don't eat bugs. <laughs> it would be nice. 
It would be nice. <laughs> I know there's a company, and I'm trying to think of what they're called, but they're they come up with these little sausage things. Reptilinks. Yep. Um, yep. I haven't tried those yet either, but somebody's created them, and I think it's a great, probably a good creation. I actually, when I have to assist feed, I do boiled pinky heads, so it's not the whole body. It's very small. It's very easy to get down. You know, it's it's easy to help them eat that and it doesn't take as long and it gets some nutrition and it, it's a lot less messy than trying to do a whole pinky. <laughs> How is it exactly that you assist feed as you? Um, well, you have to hold them carefully by their head and I should do a video of this someday. I will. I want to do a lot more videos as far as education stuff goes too. Um, but you just hold them gently by the head and I usually will take, um, a toothpick or something, some kind of soft wood, either that or the end of a pencil or something without the lead in it. And just um, that will help you to be able to open their mouth. And then I just, with my other two fingers, you know, just put the pinky head right, right in their mouth. And I just push it down with the end of, you know, something soft wood down enough. And then I eventually just uh, massage it down with my hand. So it really is under 10 seconds, probably Um, doesn't take too long. And it seems a little stressful for some of them at first. Um, but it really doesn't hurt them at all. They're okay. They're, um, yeah, I had, I had to do something very similar to um, a rescue box, box turtle that had a jaw injury when she was run over, mm. and so um, she couldn't open her jaw that easy. So we just had to liquid feed her. Yeah, and I was afraid that was going to go on and on and on. And, and lo and behold, she was started to be able to manipulate her jaw and. Now I still have to feed her like she's a baby bird, but now she can take bites and I've trimmed her beak. And oh. So, you know, it's just yeah. things we do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's interesting. Yeah. I, I've, I've seen videos of people um, feeding their snakes and, and um, Joel, my partner, he had worked at Reptile Gardens and one of my friends, um, a fellow wildlife biologist, he was working one summer at Reptile Gardens and I helped him feed an elephant trunk snake that was very hmm. fun. Oh, fun. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I really would love to see more of your um, how to and what I do. Yeah, know, yeah. I need to. Um, my my son was supposed to teach me, but now he's heading off to college. But I need to learn. I need to get on YouTube and learn how to do all the photo editing and stuff. Um, change you know muting the sounds out and stuff and a lot of my videos have children screaming in the background so I need to learn how to do a a few of those things and because I would love to do some educational videos and things for sure that would be awesome to see yeah yeah um what what morphs are you working with uh, with corn snakes do you do any locality stuff is it a Do you got like Miami-Dade County stuff or Um, is it all morphs or? Yeah, they're pretty, um, they're kind of designer morphs. (laughs) I do, I have a lot, quite a few scaleless ones. Um, I really like pink. I have lavender. Um, But the most, um, the oldest ones I have right now are are the Ultra Gene, Tessera, and the scaleless. I should have quite a few scaleless this year. And then some of my younger ones are. Um, some of the different butter projects, but yeah, I have a lot of projects I got to figure out, but I do like pink and purple snakes and I'm <laughs> going to work with some scaleless, uh, pink projects and different things. Um, so yeah, yeah I just, yeah. it's, it's kind of was a year where I just kind of went crazy on 
buying a bunch of different babies and different morphs. And I actually honestly still have to learn quite a bit about some of these new genetics. Um, because when I, when I was breeding, you know, a long time ago before I took that tenure. So I bred for 10 years, took 10 years off and now I'm back into it. Well, there's been a lot of new genetics, um, that have come along. (laughs) So I'm still doing some studying on some of these red factor genes and, um, a lot of genetics stuff to, for me to catch up on. Um, which, yeah. <laughs> and let alone in 10 years, the, the, the way I've even seen it change in 10 years, you know, yeah. it used to be you get on a forum to look up yeah. anything. And now it's Facebook groups kind of yeah. with YouTube, mm-hmm. which YouTube's not amazing. Mm-hmm. It, it's very sensationalized. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, I, I like the YouTube that are basically in it for a being informative, not the, the whole shock value things mm-hmm. that they, they do. But. Yeah, I, I plan on doing a YouTube page eventually for K.O. Corn's YouTube page. Mm-hmm. I just... That would be super It's cool on my to-do to-do list. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a very long list. <laughs> it seems like mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Especially with a, the, all the corn snakes mm-hmm. you got going on. What uh? What's the care requirement difference between scaleless and and non-scaleless? Just a bump up in humidity, or um, yeah, I've I've noticed that um, they do need higher humidity. Um, they're just let more likely to get um, injured, I guess, as far as like their skin is just like fragile. You know, it's just there. There's nothing right. protecting it. So, um, I've had a couple get scratches on them. You know, nothing serious, but you know where they'll get like. Um, a scar or scab or something more like a scab like a human like if you cut you know or something Um, and they do heal um, pretty easy like I said I've never had any big wounds or anything but um, so you want your substrate to not be pokey or or sharp or you know I like to have my scaleless more on a smooth surface um, paper towels different things you can mist um, or a soft substrate that you can mist and there's a lot of wood soft substrates that you can do uh, Repta chip and different things you can mix with Eco Earth as well. Just, um, but again, there's lots of different ways to up your humidity as well. But so that's the main thing is the humidity, um, and and the shedding because of how their scales are. Sometimes they can have a hard time sh- starting to shed around their mouth or, you know, just the shedding process. But again, that's something that's easy to fix and that you can grab a spray bottle and a towel and sit down with your snake and just soak them down and it comes right off. So. And give them a bath. Yeah. I, yeah. I like to spray them with a spray bottle and just hang out with them. <laughs> and rub on them and mist them and talk to them and just spray them down. And yeah, you can soak them in a bath. You can make a little silk box for them. And there's lots you can do that's depending on how much time you have. Yep. So, did your children ever have a, a real interest in, in all the critters at one point in their life? Oh, yeah. When I first got the. Well, the three little ones, well, they've all liked the snakes. My two older kids, because I have an age gap, um, they were with me when I was doing expos back in the day before I took a break from it. So they they grew up with snakes. Um, but yeah, they all, all kids love snakes, I think, and turtles. And But they're yeah. like any kid. They're going to get bored with everything. Um, <laughs> so, but, you know, it's good. My son, uh, who's nine, going on 10, he... He knows that the bearded dragon is his chore and his responsibility, and he loves that bearded dragon. So he does help with that bearded dragon and gets, you know, right now it's brumating, so he has a season off. 
uh, he gets a little break, but, um, and so my other son, you know, he'll be helping, but as a parent, you know, ultimately they're your responsibility and you have to oversee your children and stuff. But, um, I think they just, because I'm always doing chores and they have summers off of course. And, but mom doesn't mom's in the house doing chores, doing chores. So to them, it's like, that's all mom does <laughs> is, is animal chores. And I think that probably takes a little bit of the fun away for them in a way, but, um, they do enjoy them and they love the reptile expos. And they love it when their friends come over, when they have their birthday parties and their friends go crazy because we have a zoo. Um, <laughs> they enjoy that part. <laughs> Do you take them uh, out herping, you know, to, um, you know, watch and look and um, for snakes and frogs and you know. Yeah, we, we're we're big rock hunters as well. We do the whole Fairburn egg at rock hunting and we get out hiking a lot. And um, But honestly, we live two minutes from reptile gardens and we're there probably every other day in the summer <laughs> at oh, reptile awesome. gardens. So that's, we spend a lot of time there and it, it, it never gets old. That's always the go-to place. And, but we yeah. do like to, uh, we go fishing and do other things too, but um, we don't actually go out looking for snakes too much. We usually just go to reptile gardens or play with our own. Yeah. We see yeah. them by our pond once in a while. We have a, a big pond in our backyard and we'll see oh. We'll see. Well, we just put some turtles. My friend had some. Hopefully, the turtles will be all right. They got. We have fish that are in there that hibernate and come back, and we have live plants. So we think that the turtles should be okay. We put some baby turtles in there that my friend was draining a pond and had a whole bunch. Oh. So we're hoping, hoping, hoping um, okay. that maybe next year they'll stick around. Did you, did you make that pond, or is it a natural pond? Um, it's man-made, but it's got a bunch of lily pads and stuff around it. And the, and the, we've been here four and a half years in this house and it's had fish in there ever since. And we don't feed the fish. It's all natural. They eat the bugs and algae and, um, they come. Yeah. It's just its own little ecosystem. How deep is it? Um, deep enough that the fish don't die because <laughs> we don't heat it. You know, I've never gone all the way in it. It's, Oh, wow. I don't know if it's five yeah. feet deep or, I mean, I don't know that it's above it's my head. I bet it's more than four of them. It's pretty wow. deep, but I don't know that it's, it's pretty, I don't know, 10, 20, 30, 40, 30 or 40 wide. I don't know, it's a big pond. Oh, my. We're pretty so spoiled. It, so it, it's, um, it, it was a dug and then clay lined or was it? I think it's got a liner in it. And then, because okay. uh, there is parts where the rocks have kind of fallen and there is a thick pond liner in it, so. Is it like a black rubber yeah, or uh, some thick okay. pond liner in there? But yep, that would be the same as what you're looking at, Peggy, for your pond. Yeah, but, but our lily pads are are kind of go crazy every year, and you can hardly see the water because it's just all lily pads. So I think the turtles would like it. The fish love it. So <laughs> that, that's ideal for yeah. a fishing pond. For that's exactly what they what they like. Interesting. Fun, yeah. Fun. So mm -hmm. is your is your yard enclosed with a fence? Or? It is. We have a we have an acre and a quarter that's all six foot uh, chain link fence around it, and then we actually blocked off our husky from going into the pond. Um, mm -hmm. When we decided to put the turtles in there, we put up another gate so he or another fence so he can't get to the pond unless he is with us, and we mm -hmm. take him over there. Um, so yeah, right now it's it's pretty protected from wildlife and things. You'll have to share pictures of that too. Yeah. 
I think, you know, on my Facebook page, if you scroll back far enough, I know I, I posted when we put the babies in there and stuff like that. I kind of record almost everything we do. Um, so if you go back far enough on my Facebook page, you'll see the baby turtles. And I'm sure I have some pond pictures. We had frogs in there before. and um, On your KO Corns yeah, Facebook? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I want to say it's 10, 20. It might only be 25. I've never, I should just measure it one of these days. Mm-hmm. But we yeah. got we got lucky. It was here when we got here. It's always been a dream. Wow. But um, we were just we just got lucky on this at this place, and it had one of my dreams, which is a pond. And eventually, I do want to build another pond, um, but it could be in a sunroom possibly, and have actual real koi fish and turtles in it. Oh, That's wow. another dream of mine. But <laughs> <laughs> that would be really cool. Well, Matthew, you can start a business doing that. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, <laughs> landscaping is fun. Oh, I, I do know. enjoy the design process of the landscaping. Yeah. That's uh, that's what I did for a very long time. Yeah, that's Let's build fun. ponds and oh. landscapes and fun. Yeah, and, yeah. Well, now that I'm retired from working with a biochem firm, now it's like, hmm, you know, it's, I, I, I know I want to get back into my artwork more, but boy, this this whole turtle yeah. thing is yeah. <laughs> You said you do bronze sculptures? Oh, yeah, I do bronze sculptures and oil paintings okay. and, um, and, and, and pencil, um, really detailed pencil drawings. And, and, uh, and so it was, I've, I've shown with um, Robert Bateman and John Siri Lester and Nancy Glazier and all the biggies and the oh. wildlife art field. And, and then, uh, you know, then oh. I got this huge, huge sculpture project that, uh, uh, turned out to be more of a fiasco than a, than a blessing. And mm-hmm. I couldn't work on that project while doing, you know, he had to create five new pieces each year to stay oh, wow. in those national wildlife art shows. And, you know, uh, so it was, um, you, you know, you had to have five originals available and, and be juried in every year. And I, with that huge sculpture project that I did, I just couldn't do both. And so, but now that I'm retired completely from the sciences other than volunteering for Custer State Park to do turtle projects, turtle rescues. Um, you know, it's, I can, you know, sky's the limit as far as what I can do in, in oil painting and drawings. The cost of doing bronzes though are mm-hmm. still, but I still haven't sculpted a turtle. Like I was explaining to Matthew earlier. <laughs> it's like, why haven't I sculpted a turtle? <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, that would be fun to have at the, uh, the that kind of a booth that year next year. Yeah, yeah. My boys had a booth and they sold um, toys and stickers and uh, really had a lot of fun selling reptile toys and stickers and stuff like that. And the kids, you know, it was something that was five dollars an under table, and the kids just loved it. So it was oh, good yeah. for them. And then I'm the idiot dad who didn't bring cash. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and, and I, then I'm like, I don't want, and then you told me to go buy a leopard gecko and I'm like, no, no, I don't want a leopard gecko. You could have got me with a corn snake probably, but not the leopard gecko. I'm good on that one. <laughs> and yeah, no, your kids gave a couple of little dinosaurs to mine because they didn't have any cash. Oh, okay. <laughs> so they, they were super awesome too. Yeah. Yeah, dinosaur toys, do they count <laughs> to sell? It's a reptile. I don't see why not. Yeah, you might as well. 
Yeah. <laughs> I've got all my old Frito-Lay, um, you know, those tiny little uh, Frito-Lay uh, dinosaurs that I collected ever since the 60s. Yeah. <laughs> when... yeah. And it would be fun to have even a booth of, of dinosaurs, you know, fossils and dinosaurs because they're reptiles. And if even though they're extinct, how cool. I mean, my boy is yeah. still a favorite thing, dinosaurs, like. Oh, they're yeah. fascinating. They're reptiles and they're fascinating. And my, that's why I love my Chinese water dragons so much, because when I look at their eyes, they are a dinosaur. I mean, they have that eerie eye. Like it's like watching Jurassic Park all over. Like when you look <laughs> at their eyes, they're little dinosaurs. So, oh, nice. um, yeah, you can just see them thinking in their eyes. It reminds me of the raptors. But uh-huh. Interesting. Well, I'll have to convince Joel's mom, who uh, taught ge uh, um, uh, geology and historical geology at the collegiate level, and she's got all kinds of fossils. Maybe I can convince yeah. her to have <laughs> Yeah. And she loves, she loves teaching and talking, you know, about history. Yeah. That would be super cool. We do have a lot of, a lot of dinosaur people around, yeah. so. Yeah. That would be cool. Have you ever come across the fossils in your rock hunting? Oh, I'm sure we have. I'm just not great at knowing what to look for. And I'm always so focused on looking for fair burns <laughs> <laughs> and prairie agates and things like that, that I'm not really looking for the fossils. I'm looking past that kind of rock. So, but I know it's out there. I mean, we, we go rock hunting all over the Black Hills and over by the Badlands and different things. So we see lots of coral and different clams and different things too. So... Uh, did, have you come across box turtles in your uh, rock hunting? Um, no. Oh, because I, I was told by Kathy um, Woods. She's a teacher, and she's um, brought me an egg rescue and then uh, a youngster that someone wanted to um, find another home for. Hmm. And she, she's a, a rock hound, and she says that a, a number of them come across the box turtles out there hmm. where they find the fairburns. Hmm. But it's, uh, and I, you know, the Game Fishing Parks wants me to start that um, assurance colony of box turtles, but I don't want to collect from the wild uh, unless it's a rescue. And mm -hmm. so now I do have a male and a female. Um, I don't know if the female is going to be able to hmm. produce, but I'm just curious that if you do come across an injured box turtle out there, yeah. you know, bring it in. Because yeah, for sure. I'll know who to contact yeah. no i've only come across the rattlesnakes and spiders and lots of ticks and things i i mostly actually do most of my hunting in the winter time because oh. i like to take my husky and i like to take my family with me so it's just you go out on a warm winter day and you play in the rocks on the hills and you don't have to worry about rattlesnakes or ticks and bugs <laughs> and makes me happy <laughs> yeah especially the rattlesnake yeah so you said you had two species of chameleon. Are you done breeding chameleons then completely? or? Um, I am for a while. Um, I Like I said, I, Did I have Did you produce these, both species? Uh, just the veiled chameleon babies that I have right now. Um, I, I had their parents and I put them together and bred them. And I went through the whole process of learning and um, doing all that. And then I rehomed the adults because I didn't want to take a break from chameleons because they are quite a bit of work, especially the bug feeding. Um, daily bug feeding and misting and gut loading and it's just it does all add up and you're dealing with lots of bugs and things but I love chameleons I will have panther chameleons again someday 
Um, but it's just, I got to find balance. I, right now, my goal is to figure out projects and find balance so that I can still enjoy it and not uh, get so busy that I lose the enjoyment because that's really what it's about. So, um, but the veils are pretty awesome. I, I have a waiting list and I think those will find some pretty good homes and we're still adding to our waiting list because they got to grow for a couple months. And then I got 25 babies, I think right now with maybe two or three that still could hatch. Um, but that was a fun process. And I, I love chameleons. I, I built a huge bioactive uh, chameleon cage over a 125 gallon fish tank. And nice. um, right. I, I'm going to keep that for as long as I live in this house. Um, it takes up a lot of space right now. There's a couple of knolls running around in there uh, and that's it. And all my plants are in there, but eventually I'd love a, a male panther, probably a blue one or a yellow one in there someday. But I'm not sure I'll breed chameleons again. I'll have a chameleon, like a panther again. But And until then, I'll probably keep one of the baby veils and grow it up and have one. But it's just when you have, a, yeah, 30 mouths to feed. Yeah, that's a lot. Um, and they're in every day. Bugs, too. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, fruit flies are, I thought I had hundreds and that. Well, I did. And. It's just hard to keep up with the bugs. I just had to do another overnight from Josh's frogs for some pinhead crickets and just those tiny, tiny bugs. But eventually they're going to outgrow it pretty quick here. So we'll be on some regular crickets, which will help a little bit. So, Have you ever had any of your lizards or snakes colonize your house and keep the bugs down in your house where you never had to worry about them anymore? <laughs> well, well, all my bugs are pretty um, contained. So I don't really have like bugs crazy everywhere. Have I had a lizard or two get out before? Yeah, but I usually find them. Uh, yeah, I, I lived in Tucson, and I would bring in those tiny little skinks oh. and, and just to keep take care of the roaches. Yeah. yeah, keep the roaches down. They did so much better than having my landlord come in and poison them. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, if I, <laughs> if I lived in an area with roaches, I would do the exact same thing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, I'd see the lizards, you know, camped out on top of my picture frames and <laughs> and just like waiting for the next time they could, you know, get down during night and and eat eat the the roaches that wanted to come out at night. Hmm. Never had never saw another roach once I had the house colonized with tiny little lizards. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. So, but you're, you're kind of going to continue down the road of day geckos though, right? Um, I believe so. They're pretty easy. They oh. eat mostly, I mean, they eat bugs here and there, but they, they eat rapashi, which is also what the crested geckos eat. Um, it's a chore. It's yeah. a daily chore. It's a, a powdered, um, meal. It's got all the vitamins and minerals. It's called rapashi. Um, and there's other ones it's like, like fruit, Pangea. Yeah. It's basically just like a a fruit because in the wild they eat rotting fruit and stuff so it's basically like a mixture that makes like a baby food that oh, you can okay. feed them it's pretty easy um they're not a lot of they're kind of messy and stinky i'm not gonna lie so i don't know i mean it just kind of i love the day gecko so far they don't take up too much of my time i love the babies hatching out and do they lay two eggs at a time like yeah one or two usually other geckos mm -hmm. yeah. okay you're you're just incubating those on the shelf too. Yep, they're just in my, down okay. in my snake room. That yep, and like I said, we just had our fourth baby hatch. Um, one of them's big enough, old enough to go now, and then we have another egg that I think is going to hatch. And then there's another clump that had two eggs stuck together, but that's pretty old. That one is, so I don't think that that one's going to hatch. So probably just one more baby to hatch, which will be five for her. 
first mm. season. So I think that's pretty good. But that's pretty good. Yeah. So, but we'll see. A lot of it. I mean, I, I'm going to get on Morph Market and stuff. So a lot of it just depends on if if they're finding good homes, if they, if they're moving, um, and if not, it makes no sense. You know, I still have water dragons that are going on what a year and a half now. So. And I, you know, you as a breeder, that's one thing. As a responsible breeder, you need to be able to have the time, space, money, and all that to keep all your animals until they do find good homes. Uh-huh. Um, and so sometimes that means maybe taking a break from a breeding season, or you know, separating your males and females for a year or two until, you know, until you have the other ones found good homes. So that's just that's- kind of part of the process. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a good process. But yeah, that's, but. That's yeah. yeah, but and on the on the other side of the spectrum, like the business side, which you do have to kind of look at mm-hmm. a little bit, holding an animal for a year and a half, right? And right. You even don't if make you any money off of it, <laughs> you're yeah, you're you're done. You've yeah. already fed it more oh, yeah. than that. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely, and and a lot of the animals, you know, if I want to start looking at, you know, so like the chameleons and different things, depending on if you're growing your own bugs or not, that you know. But even then, bugs, they need to eat too. So I could spend $10 a week easy just on carrots for my bugs. or And that's the cheap food. <laughs> you know, like, you know, So you still have to feed the bugs that feed the animals. And, and there's always cost in something. Um, but yeah, if, if the longer you hold on to animals once they're ready to go, um, the less you'll make off that animal. And some animals are worth more than other animals. And there's just a lot of... And some um, animals just move faster. And some move faster, yeah. So, like the scaleless corn snakes, um, I don't know how fast they'll move, and it's just going to be a learning, you know, experience. But definitely, probably with a lot of species, we'll have to get the online presence and, and be shipping, which I used to do. I used to ship corn snakes all over the country when I did it before. So it's just I got to get motivated to to go to FedEx all the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You print um, care sheets with each sale and that you, you know, specific to you know, the species that you're selling so that they know the habitat requirements? Um, usually, like right now, I haven't had a ton of ton of sales. I'm just getting back into it. Um, I've done most all my stuff in the last year and a half or so. Um, but I usually talk to them really well about it. Uh, if they have questions, answer them. But I, that is a great idea especially for the expos when I'm in a hurry or got 10 people talking to me and they want to buy something or have questions. I do plan on having printout care sheets at all the upcoming expos of all the animals that I have and also having them um, probably available on my Facebook page and stuff would be a good idea as well. But most of the time I just talk to people about it, the animals like corn snakes, leopard geckos. Those are pretty easy. Um, But you'd be surprised how many times I'll get someone text me or, or message me in the middle of the night asking me a very, very simple question about a reptile <laughs> that if they would, they would just Google or ask Siri, you know, you'd find out in two seconds, but, oh, yeah. I, but that's I, okay. I, I, I'm, I'm learning that you, you have to keep a list of what YouTube video to send them. To. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, Cause you, you could, that. you could eat up all your time in your day, just answering, you know, answering questions about all the basic care. Um, but, you know, encouraging people to do their own research is, you know, it's not being mean. It's just, you know, yeah. making them realize that it, it does help busy, no, busy people out that 
might have a lot of mouths to feed. And the, and the thing is, is like, ex I could try to keep exactly how you're keeping, and it it might not be effective for me. Exactly. So, mm -hmm. and there are so. there's no there's no one way perfect to do to do it. Um, like there's controversial um, things that come up, and you know, like, but you know, like with my corn snakes, there's some people that say, oh, you should never, ever house two snakes together. And I've always housed females corn snakes together. And I've, okay. I've never had a problem. Um, now, of course, if two for any reason didn't like each other, but I think that I've had that happen once in 30 years where one female was honoring to another one. Um, yeah. And even the young ones, you know, they're, they hatch out together. They stay in a clump together till they, till they, shed and then I separate them all and eventually if they're eating really good I might put a group of five back together but I always separate them to feed them you know there's no danger in them trying to I've never had a snake eat another snake which I know it can happen oh, I've, heard, right. I've heard of it happening but it's not very often or common yeah. they're not they're not like no. whole snakes I wouldn't keep no. whole snakes but together. you know there's, there's different <laughs> you know controversial things of housekeeping and stuff you're gonna find some groups are, uh, you know, pretty picky on, oh, you shouldn't use that substrate or this substrate or, you know, with bioactive. So, for instance, I sold two animals this last year. I sold a corn snake, a yearling corn snake, and a leopard gecko. And both of the, of the people that got them um, wanted to do bioactive cages, which is fine. You can definitely do that. But both um, of my customers also um, told me about a week later that their animals got out. And they had loose animals in their house and they couldn't find their animals. And then the same two, it was kind of funny because it was, I think even on the same day, like two or three weeks oh. late, two or three weeks later, they said they found, they found their animals and they were in the substrate under, under one of the trees or plants they had planted in the roots. And, <laughs> and they don't, they don't realize that, you know, leopard geckos and snakes and things, they burrow, they go under the dirt, they, they make their own little hides and caves and so they neither are. neither one of them had gotten out. They were just hiding in their bioactive <laughs> tanks, which I was happy. It's like, well, that's good. They're they're good. They're right at home. But so there's so, some species I I don't recommend bioactives for, which would probably be a corn snake. But day geckos and crested geckos and chameleons <laughs> are amazing in bioactive tanks. I I find that live planted tanks are hard for snakes because snakes will just hard destroy on them. Yes. it yeah. instantly. And water dragons like, do. Water dragons destroy any of that. Oh, I thought turtles were only of that type. <laughs> oh, they're they're hard on plants too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think bamboo plants oh. is about the only thing I can put in a turtle thing there. Don't destroy it right away. <laughs> oh, I'm sure mine would because I've put in the the Anubis and these others that they say, oh, they don't like them. They will, won't touch them. And within two days, yeah. they're gone. Yeah. <laughs> Even though that they're getting, you know, free choice, uh -huh. really, the premium organic uh, romaine lettuce, hmm. you know, 24-7, they still want to hmm. decimate what they say they don't like. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So I was Okay, I, I was wondering, you know, what you do you have a show tank that you put together as your highlight in your living room that is, you know, just 
butamus that you know you've got all planted and everything and if so what do you put in there as far as you know the, the lizard or a snake <laughs> well um so our house is different levels when our main kitchen dining room family room only has a fish tank in it no reptiles at all so, and then you go up to the, our third level, um, which has a longer skinny type family room, which is basically the music room, reptile room, and my office. And then down the hallway is bedrooms and bathrooms. So that's kind of where most of my jungle, I call it the jungle is. And that's where my huge bioactive, you know, it's six foot by three foot by, I don't know, it goes to the ceiling. Wow. Um, it's all planted and you can see through that. So that's where all my fancy tanks are, I guess. Um, and my hutch is up there. It's an old China hutch that was converted to a snake cage. And mm. that looks pretty cool. And just more of the fan and they're just the tanks that are kind of decorated up. I have snakes up there and bioactives for my day geckos and crested geckos up there. And they're all kind of in that space with all the live plants and stuff. So it's kind of, like I said, I need to just I just move my bioactive and I move in my cages around and redoing the whole space. But once I get it out kind of settled, then I'll be doing a, a video of a, a video so people can kind of see, cause it's kind of fun. Would you ever consider putting habitats together and selling them like the, um, Serpa designs, um, does, the, his YouTube. Um, I, I think that would be fun, especially with the day geckos and crested geckos. I'd love to sell them with a bioactive tank and the whole setup. Um, I just have to do the process of getting, um, I have my tax license and whatnot. I have to figure out how to get my wholesale stuff done um, and then figuring out where I want to store cages. So it kind of has to do with the space thing. If I'm going to be getting in cages to resell and to, to flip or, you know, sell with an animal so it's, it's time consuming, but I, I definitely for sure want to do a video, a couple videos of putting it together. Here's how, you know, here's what you need. Here's how, how you make a bioactive tank. Here's the lights you need. And this is all, everything you need for this animal and do some videos at least so that someone could order it. If, you know, if they weren't in a super big hurry, they could order all what they need and, and do it themselves too. So, mm-hmm. Because it's again, it's just a storage and time. It's it's more of a time thing than anything, I think. Yeah, yeah. But I, I just, do love putting bioactives together. Even today, just doing the chameleon baby chameleon cages. They're not bioactive, but there's they're all live plants in there, um, and vines and live plants, and it's just it's therapeutic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I really wonder how well going that that would go over, like the making of the cage and selling the animal as well. Like at the Reptile Expo, because I know when when I went to the Reptile Expo, I guess I didn't quite have all my caging ready. So Well, and I noticed that I, I had sense. a couple used cages that I sold, and they sold right away. So yeah. people wanted to come in, and they wanted to, you know, they fall in love with the animal, and they just want to, they don't have anything ready, which is not what I really recommend. I recommend, you know, doing research and getting things ready, then getting the animal. Right. But for some yeah. species, like a leopard gecko or a corn snake, it can be simple, you know, and I had a couple cages with a heat pad underneath and basically you just add a water dish and hide and, and those did sell really fast. So, um, I think it would be something that would be good to have. And then I might look into well, having just, more, a full complete setup ready for them. Yeah. There, there is quite a market out there because uh, a lot of my, um, art patrons, um, you know, they buy a dog and they want all 
the lessons to come with that dog as far as training and everything from the breeder. I mean, they, they do a package purchase. And so, and then, and I know out of one family that has bought a lot of my artwork, that's how they also buy pets for their kids. They want it all, you know, mm -hmm. they, they want an expert to set it up for them. And mm -hmm. so then just teach them the upkeep. But right. I, you know, for a lot of the doctors and their families and, you know, the, you know, the, the, the higher upper middle income peoples and, mm -hmm. and groups, they want the experts to set up the habitats yeah. that they can enjoy. And, and then they, they feel good about maintaining it. It's right. just set it all up for me. What does it cost with the animal? And right. bam, I mean, there yeah. is that market out there. I know those people. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, well, you I, need I, to send them my way. No, I'm <laughs> well, and we don't have anyone locally building cages yeah. or anywhere near local. There might be someone in Denver, but like, yeah, and I don't, I don't have the tools to build. Um, well, I've, I've built some big stuff at my house, but nothing is straight or has a right angle because I, I don't have the right tools and saws. Um, but I can throw something. I can throw cages together and, and create a box or a rectangle. Um, but I definitely enjoy the bioactive parts and, and you can get those pretty big glass terrariums and things, and then put in the different layers of the soils and plant them. And that part part's fun too. I'm going to try doing some of the foam scaping for some oh. of mine. Cause I have, I have a big hutch that has three, um, I guess they have mirrors in the back now, but I want to cover it up and put my crested geckos in there. But I want to do some foamscaping and, and really be able to put, um, yeah, to be able to make it really neat and mm -hmm. learn more about that, um, building the walls and making neat habitats and hides and shelves and stuff. Well, I know on Marketplace you could find the pieces of furniture that people want to give away because yeah. they're and you can convert those so yeah know. and my friend and I have done that together but that takes a lot of time space and muscles and all sorts of stuff um storage the, space the issue, so the, the issues I had with building my own cage were the expense of the glass ah. was it would have been cheaper just to buy a cage yeah. from like a bigger manufacturer just off the expense of the glass mm -hmm. alone so yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't know there's there's a lot of things that make it more expensive that way yeah, yeah. I could see that I had another question on your corn snakes of, mm -hmm. um, so when you're keeping them together mm -hmm. are you are you keeping just two females together and then in your rack setup too you you do this um, not in or, a rack system okay. no no in a rack system they have their own space um, sometimes when I roommate them I might put two females together when they cool, um, which they just hibernate together and curl yeah. up. And usually they're ones that have been raised together. A lot of times um, I'll take some of my holdback babies, say I have four of my favorite pretty girls, and I just keep them together from when they're little and then just kind of grow them up together and watch them. And they get separated when they get bred, of course, and when they get fed and, um, and when they're um, going to lay their eggs, they get their own um, then they go into rack system for their, they have their own egg box, so they don't have to fight over egg boxes or space and stuff. So there's kind but, of separating in between. Are you using 28 quarts then? Yeah. Okay. I think that's what they are. 
28-32 right in that yeah. ballpark. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But I don't, I, I prefer them in the cages. Um, I'd rather put a couple in a 40 gallon and rearrange it. Cause I like to rearrange their cages <laughs> and things. And so I think it, it just stimulates them better. And I don't know. I like to see them. I like to enjoy them with a rack. It's really hard to do that. But the more, the more animals you have, you almost have to do some, some rack system. Um, yeah. But my goal is to try to get only use the racks for the breeding season, the brumating and every other season be able to enjoy them in their cages and hopefully all in one room. If I ever add on to my house, I want to build a big sunroom and have, have my zoo out there so I can have even more of my animals close to me. (laughs) So have you thought about like then making a a rack system and then having, having just your displays and then switching out your animals? Yeah, I'd probably have it. I'd even probably have my racks in the same space too. So I don't have... And then I might have like a closet type room that I could use as an incubator and for brewmating. That would be good. And it would be more of a small room off of the big sunroom, hopefully. So, how often do you check on your brewmating animals? Um, once a week. Oh, okay. They because they're not going to the bathroom. Their water. I mean, hardly ever. We have to, you know, give them fresh water. You know, every one to two weeks, and just check on them. I try not to disturb them too much. Um, so, but yeah, just weekly is usually what I check on them. Now, when they first go in, I check on them a little bit more just to make sure that, you know, that they're settling down and, you know, not super active or acting, you know, different or yeah. But otherwise just once a week is all usually for the snakes. You doing a similar checkup routine with the lizards? Yeah. They get all checked at the same time. Awesome. They're just, I mean, they're down there and they're just sleeping. Like my bearded dragon, he just doesn't, he hasn't moved for like a month (laughs) at all. He just, they just don't move. They just sleep. It's the off season. Which is like, yeah, it's crazy. I miss my collared lizards a lot. The corn snakes, I have yearlings and babies and I get to play with them. I have not all of them are brumating. So I have a lot of corn snakes to play with still, but my collards, I miss seeing them. And this is my first year brumating them. So. They're a little bit um, sensitive to that, um, so I'm a little nervous about it, but so far, so good. <laughs> so they say if it gets too warm or too cold, it can be really bad, but I think our temperatures are good, and we're just going to keep our fingers crossed. I didn't roommate my female last year, and I almost lost her because her body naturally wanted to do it, oh. and so I couldn't get her to eat, and so it was because um, she was just trying to roommate, so... She got really skinny and yeah, it was, it was not fun, but luckily she bounced back and started finally eating again and I didn't lose her, but it was a scary time. I'm like, okay, we're going to brewmate next year. <laughs> so I don't want to do that winter again. Wow. So yeah, some of them it's, yeah, some of those like the collared lizards and some of the lizard species, they're, they're definitely kind of fragile. They're not for beginners for sure. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I if I could um, have that that much time and attention uh, paid to uh, the animals um, as uh, turtles sound like they are a lot easier. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think just, I don't know. I've really enjoyed just learning about the different, different reptiles that I have and just the whole educational experiences and recording it and just, you know, trying to get better and better and just, you know, it's just fun to have babies too. (laughs) Oh yes. Yes. That's so true. 
Yeah, the babies are the best part. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I hadn't hatched out any eggs for three years. Um, mm-hmm. I I wasn't breeding um, until all of a sudden one of my females was finally old enough to, to lay eggs. But uh, having two egg rescues without having planned for them, it was it, it was still just wonderful going to the incubator like about every mm-hmm. day and checking on them. And, and uh, yeah, it was like, oh, I forgot how wonderful this was. <laughs> Yeah. So when when they do, is your um, hatching period with all those different species, how concise of a window is it? Do some of them lay over several months or do they, they all seem to lay at about the same time? Well, for my corn snakes, since they are, are all brumating at the same time, I'll pull them out at the same time. So they'll be on a pretty similar schedule. Um, so most of the, the babies um, should be hatching out within, you know, two two to four weeks of each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so that will be nice. And then you have, like, my crested geckos. This will be my first time with them, and I'll introduce them probably in March. Um, and then my day geckos, you know, they have different seasons, and then they're kind of spread out with their egg laying. So, like, right now I'm having baby chameleons and baby day geckos are hatching right now, but they're almost all done. Mm-hmm. So we, we're almost done. Yeah. There's just different seasons for different species, I guess. My chameleon eggs were, Oh, what was it? Eight months that I had them at room temperature. So they were basically incubating for eight months at room temperature wow. before they started hatching. So we knew it would be about November or December. So it was pretty, pretty, on time with what we thought. Um, Is that how long they usually take to incubate in the wild? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Veiled chameleons eggs, you don't want them to get too warm. Mm -hmm. So um, room temperature is best for them. And they say at chameleons, it's better to have them. The eggs go longer with lower temps than. So I guess different chameleons, I think it's the, is it the Jacksons or Parsons? I don't know. One of the chameleons, their eggs incubate for like two years sometimes. Oh no! Yeah, so it's it's pretty neat. You try to think about how intricate their eyes are, and that makes me wonder. You know, like, yeah. And I know there's been studies done on uh, like corn snakes and and ball and pythons in general, and lowering the incubation temp. And when you do that, it takes longer, but you do produce a bigger baby who's more ready to eat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, that's the same way we see in the turtle field. They say if you do incubate for females, expect smaller babies, and that'll actually take about two weeks for their eyes to be um, considered mature. Mm-hmm. Um, and usually, you know, they uh, if they've had a hot nest temperature, the female lays on a south embankment and that... Uh, so that they, they all hatch female. Usually they'll stay in that nest until they've absorbed their yolk and their eyes are mature and, and you know, they may come out of that nest, you know, a week or two after hatching um, so that they, you know, they, they have a, a little bit of late summer and fall to eat before brumation. But, you know, so when you incubate for the females, you, you know you're going to deal with, you know, really small nickel-sized babies that, you know, you just um, really give them TLC the first week of their life. And 
um, you know, but uh, mine, I, I started a new, a new food and boy, they started eating before their yolk sac was even absorbed. And I just wondered, you know, do you, um, it sounds to me as if you have to wait for those snakes for quite a while. I mean, what's the average that it takes for them to have their first feeding after hatching? Well, they go, they, they come out pretty full and because of what they get from the eggs. So, um, they go through a shed cycle first. So you're waiting for that. So it's probably one to two weeks. I'm trying to think about two weeks probably was where they shed. Okay. I think it's seven to nine days or it's, I don't know. It's between one to two weeks where they'll shed. And then I usually wait about three days after they shed. Oh, okay. Um, so once they hatch, so they hatch out with a lot of nutrients from their eggs. You can see it. Their bodies are nice and fat usually. Okay. And then they'll, you know, they'll go into shed pretty quick right after, mm-hmm. um, you know, within I think three or four days, they're starting to get blue and go into shed and then they don't move and they just huddle up. And and once they start shedding, then they start getting active and looking for food. So is that the same with the lizards? Um, no, the lizard le- leopard gecko babies come out and they're pretty hungry right off the bat. Yeah, they'll eat your finger. All the lizards eat right away. Same with the same with the chameleons. So, mm-hmm. um, because they don't have to shed first, they're just they're born and they're ready to ready to eat. So the snakes they'll just stay into hiding until they shed, then they go eat. So it's a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I'm going to learn so much from you, lizard and snake people. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the whole point. Is learning. Yeah. Yes. Education. It's a free resource. Mm-hmm. It'll always be free. So. Yeah. Reptiles are just awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's, it's fun. I, you know, I, I end up watching a lot of those YouTube videos of all these species that I'm so unfamiliar with, and and uh, it's just so fun to to learn. I, it's not that I want to possess those animals, but I, I still mm-hmm. am learning about them. Yeah, there's some animals that yeah, I don't want to own, but <laughs> I find very fascinating. Mm-hmm. Well, do you have any more questions, Peggy? Uh, not that I can think of. I, I know I'll, I really want to meet you in live and in person, Twyla. And, yeah. And, boy, I'd love to see your setup one of these days. <laughs> yeah, that would be fun. Yeah. yeah. I would love to see that, too. I I, your displays at your at the reptile expo were awesome, so I'm sure your house is even better. <laughs> it's fun. It's I'm always moving things. That's my my problem is I got to stop these projects because then I got to make a mess to make something nice, and it takes forever. But we're slowly getting there. I put a hammock up in my house, and so <laughs> I um had to move some stuff, and then I had to move my bioactive because I had to bring my puppy bunk bed back in, and it's just yeah because I. I have chihuahuas as well. So I have some puppies of that puppy chihuahuas a couple times a year on a very small scale, but they're also in my reptile area. So we have a, it's a very tight space of making every inch count. (laughs) Joel says, darn it. She said, she said the puppy chihuahuas. Uh Oh, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) I grew up with a chihuahua that pawed me to wake up when my neighbor's house was, 
uh, on fire. And, oh wow! And, and she woke me up, and 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 I, I just love chihuahuas. And, and yeah, you definitely need to come over then. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had a dream about uh, a, a little black chihuahua with white paws and a little bit of white underneath, you know, and, and it's with its meat on its um, chest. Huh. I'm like, why would I have such a dream of something like that? You know, and then I go, there better not be a rescue out there that looks like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's not a lot of rescue small dogs around here. And yeah, so we're expecting puppies again about 60 days. Oh, wow. Hopefully. And now we, ha- we have a, a few that are 11 weeks old right now, too. So, yeah. Oh, I did not hear that. I did not hear that. No. <laughs> <laughs> we have two dogs, two cats, and then, you know tanks of turtles so you know we uh, i'm busy (laughs) i I gotta keep telling myself that (laughs) yeah it's a zoo yeah i got one growing too (laughs) yeah well if you could keep anything at all what would you keep money size no limits no (laughs) limits at all you know, that's tough. Cause I, I don't know. I love color. Um, I love blue. I'd probably say, I don't know. I love blue iguanas, the looks of them. Mm-hmm. I love Panther chameleons too, which I've had and will have again, but I don't know. I love alligators, but they don't have the blue. So I'd probably have to go with like a blue iguana or something. Yeah. The blue banded so, Fiji iguana is yeah. just gorgeous and yeah. you can't have it. So yeah. <laughs> there's also what's that lizard that you can't own either? It's about extinct. What is that one? That horny, not a horny toad, but a the devil. What is that devil one? A thorny devil. Yeah, thorny devil. Those are pretty cool. Oh, I didn't hear of that one. You know, yeah. I'm writing notes of what all I have to Google after talking. <laughs> <laughs> but but I I don't know. I love I love everything, but I really do love um, creatures with color. So have you thought about keeping like green trees then? Because you can get some really blue green tree pythons. Nope. Okay. (laughs) I'm sticking with the corn snakes. And I tell you what, there's some amazing colors in corn snakes. But I know I've always wanted a blue snake. And I kind of have on a wish list. There is a garter snake. Have you heard of the garter snakes from California? Yeah, the blue blue ones. The blue ones. Yeah. I've, I've thought about looking into getting into those. But they have tiny, tiny, tiny babies. And that would be, you know, if I have something like that, I'd probably want to breed it and finding food for it would be difficult. So there's just some things that I have to tell myself, um, maybe in my dreams, (laughs) keep it to my dreams. (laughs) But you know, I'm, I got my jeweled Lacerdas. I got a blue collared lizard. I mean, the panthers that I've been able to have and experience and take pictures of. I've, I've very fortunate to have all the beautiful creatures I have. So. Yeah. You're, you're a miniature um, reptile garden, so you should, you know, charge for people to come and see your. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and you know, growing up, I kind of, for a long time when I bred snakes before, I really wanted to have a pet store, have a reptile store is what I wanted to have. But Mm -hmm. now, you know, you look at the cost of, you know, renting a space and everything. It just, you know, and when you have a family and I have a lot of people that want to buy an animal from me and, and they ask to come to my home, but at the same time, I have to be very careful because my home is my home and 
I do need to keep my home and business separate until I really get to know someone. Oh, right. Um, it's just a safety thing and, you know, and so it's, it's kind of hard to tell people no, but I do meet people in town and, you know, I'm very flexible on when and where I can meet and, you know, I can bring animals to their home, but I just, I really need to keep my home a home and not a business. And you will ship, right? Yes. Okay. Because if someone listens and you're in California and you want a corn snake, go to KO Corns on Facebook. Yep. Yeah, I can ship. I've shipped all over the country before. So right now, of course, we have a cold spell. So we don't usually ship a ton in the winter, but. Yeah, that's fair enough. Well, Well, I go for it. Well, it says, well, we, we um, know how to reach you and see everything that yeah. you have. And boy, I am going to head there and just really enjoy looking at your your critters. That's for sure. Yeah, well, it was, it was great to talk to you guys. Thanks for having me on. I'm super excited about the next expo. And yes. um, as I get more things lined up, I'm just doing some finalizing stuff with some insurance. And then I'll start um, advertising the date and location as soon as it's all finalized and then we'll I'll probably be trying to throw a committee together of some sort to try to help get other vendors in and different things like that so mm-hmm. right on so you. it's not I'm trying to spread the you know I don't want it to just be about me I don't want <laughs> yeah. it's not, I want to I want to bring more people in on it just so we can get good ideas and help to grow and um, just, it has to be a ton of workload for just one person yes I feel, yeah, mm-hmm. I, it, I suppose it was. I feel like now that we've got one under our belt, that this next year um, will be a lot easier for a lot of things that, you know, just advertising, getting out there. But definitely um, want to get some help with getting contacts of different other breeders and stuff and mm-hmm. other ideas of, well, even just educational booths and stuff and get contacts for the different colleges and stuff and figure out maybe we can get some more sponsors for advertising and t-shirts and just signage and stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. Cause it would be nice to, um, if, if you have a, a, a big screen, so to speak, that you can mm-hmm. help and bring in, yep. um, you know, a, a, a wonderful education um, presentation. That'd be. Yeah. And just having hands on booths too, because I know as a breeder, I could spend all day um, holding corn snakes and letting other people hold them and talk to them. And, but then I'm not doing anything with my sales either. You know, like I have to have someone working my booth. So it would be really nice to have like some booths set up just for like, this is a hands-on snake booth where, you know, you can go to this booth and that's all that you do is you hold a snake and talk about that one snake. So kind of will free up some of the other vendors that where everybody wants to hold all their animals, but it does really tie you down. Mm -hmm with being able to talk to as many people as you can and stuff. Do you think like uh, doing a educational symposium or something along those lines would. Yeah. Any, any education, any education, art, um, hands-on learning, reptile, anything um, Mm -hmm. would be awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, where we got KO Corns on Facebook, any, and, and that's about uh, it. I'm, <laughs> I have right. my, my other two hobbies are on Facebook too. So my art and my dogs are on Facebook. So I just kind of stick to Facebook and I'm kind of anti-media. Like I'm, I'm kind of old fashioned. If I didn't have to do my cell phone, I wouldn't even own a cell phone. 
I know I hear you. <laughs> um, eventually, I know I need to get, I, I eventually we'll get on YouTube and do some more videos. And I, I don't think I'll do the Instagram or TikTok. I'm just not, not that crowd, but. Um, See, and yeah, I'm on yeah. the edge of even doing video on YouTube at this point. Yeah. Well, I, I love the networking that I'm experiencing on Instagram. It's just so much uh, more simple. Um, is it? That's okay. my favorite platform. I'll too. have to. I'll have to look into it more. I just yeah. haven't spent the time to look into it. Yeah. Yeah, it is so simple and you know easy to use, and so easy to navigate compared to Facebook. And Facebook okay. with that meta business suite that is just layer upon layer upon layer, and it's like, oh come on, I just want to click and see my messages. Really? <laughs> oh, okay. You know, where Instagram, it's just okay. like, there's my, yeah. there's my message in. Uh, you know, icon and click on it. There's my messages and, okay. and nothing else, you know, not all this garbage goop, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> and most of all the turtle breeders are on Instagram. Okay. That's cool. Well, for us, if you want to reach us, you can reach us at herptalkradio at gmail.com. Uh, Facebook, maybe Instagram, hopefully by now, I would hope so. Uh, <laughs> Patreon. That's that's almost done. <laughs> so uh, the YouTube page is done. So you should be listening to this there or any of your favorite podcasting platforms. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and so on. 